This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord. Let's begin with prayer. Holy. We just sang, holy is the Lord. There is none like You. There is none beside You. God, would You now, through this Word, open up our eyes in wonder. Show us who You are. Fill us with Your heart. And as Peter is going to tell us, Lead us in Your love to those all around us. We can't do that unless Your Spirit fills us. Unless this living and abiding Word of truth becomes part of us. Do that by Your mighty Spirit. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Last week, Jake started us off with the imagery of a family on a long road trip, signifying who we are on this long journey to heaven with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you think of a long road trip and kids on the on the ride with you, as Jake discussed, there's always that dreaded question to the parents, are we there yet? Only 15 minutes into the Ten-hour drive, are we there yet? And every half hour, are we there yet? My wife Molly and I, when the kids ask that question, we always like to just say, we're getting closer, which is always true, right? Every time they ask, we're getting closer. Rocky told us last week that uh, he he tells his kids, soon and very soon, which is nice because it comes with a catchy tune that you can sing and distract them for a while. But... Jake told us that the even better answer, not just for your road trip, but for the Christian life, is enjoy your time now as you will when you arrive. Telling us, enjoy Christ today as you will when you are surrounding His throne in heaven. That joy is yours now. But as I pondered today's text a little bit and thought about Jake's imagery, I realized he left out one really important experience in the road trip. Not only do the kids pester mom and dad regularly with that same question, but they're always pestering each other over the most ridiculous things. Mom, Billy's looking at me. Dad, Jesse's arm is touching me. Danielle's looking out my window. Brenda hit me. No, Rachel hit me first. Ridiculous. 
born into sin, our kids, when they're put in close proximity, they just melt into conflict. Especially when you got three of them crammed in the back row. You hate being around each other. But we're no different. We, the church, are crammed into this van on a long road trip to the new heavens and the new earth, and in our own sinful flesh, we too fall into selfishness, fighting, gossiping, complaining, blaming others. But Peter says that if you are in Christ, you are born again to a living hope, purified for a sincere brotherly love. He's telling us that when you become a Christian, you are given a spirit. You are given the ability to actually get along with each other. So Jake said last week we ought to enjoy the journey as much as the destination. And the way that Peter tells us to enjoy the journey is to love one another. He calls us to love one another through the living and abiding Word of God. Love one another through the living and abiding Word of God. Being committed to one another isn't just an optional part of Christianity. Where you say, well maybe you want to consider joining a church and being in the lives of other people. Peter says, no, committed relationships with the church is the natural result of salvation. So most of the chapter 1 so far, we've been hearing about this incredible salvation through Jesus Christ that we've been given not of our own doing, but because it is love for us. That should help us endure until we arrive in our heavenly home. And now he gives us two reasons why we should Enjoy this trip together. Verse 22, Peter tells us that the goal of salvation isn't just getting to our destination, but he says we are made for a brotherly love. God saves us so we can love each other. And then in verses 23 to 25, Peter gives the ground or the reason why we should love each other. Because we've been born of God. If God is love and God lives in you, then you're going to love like He does, right? So we'll get there after we go back to verse 22 and see this brotherly love that we ought to have for one another. Verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is really the main thrust of this entire section. The the main verb in this verse is our main idea. Love one another. But Peter's not just saying that like this random disconnected idea from everything else. Like, oh, I better throw this in there too. He's telling us this flows through all of this amazing salvation that he just explained. We need to always remember not to read a Bible verse in isolation. Every time we read a verse... We need to ask, how does this connect to the verses before it? How does it connect to the main idea of the whole book, what Peter's arguing? How does it fit into the whole story of the New Testament, the whole story of the Bible? I once read a little booklet called Never Read a Bible Verse. Telling you, always ask, try to understand how this verse fits into the flow of all the other verses around it. And Peter's command to love one another flows from this glorious salvation in Christ. The sufferings and and resurrection of Christ have caused you to be born again to a living hope, 
giving you confidence that you will endure. He's surrounded you with, with angels and prophets from old who are watching you, encouraging you on. In this salvation, He's given you a new heart that's able to endure, able to do things that are pleasing to God. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done and what He is now doing in you. But Peter doesn't want us to think that's where it ends. Like That's just the stop. This personal experience between you and God is, is your salvation. He says salvation by design brings you into connection with other people. Very practically for you, the ones in this room, if that's not clear. He does start out your salvation very personally. He says, your souls have been purified by this work of Jesus. The word purified means sanctified in this, in this verse. It means made holy. So remember what Jake told us holiness is. We have this misunderstanding that holiness simply means set apart or separated from everything else. And that leads to a misunderstanding then that we think in order to stay pure before God, we need to stay away from other people. But holiness instead is devotion, consecration. Everything about my life is devoted right to Him alone, no matter where I am, what circumstances I'm in, or who surrounds me. As the verse in Deuteronomy 6.5 says, the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, everything inside of you, all your soul, your whole life, and all your might. Everything that you touch and have influence on is devoted to loving God. That is holiness. Surrendering it all to Him. And this is repeated then in the next phrase, which at first is kind of confusing. I struggled with this verse or this phrase a little bit. I'm trying to figure out what Peter is saying. He says, You're made pure, holy, devoted to God by your obedience to the truth. So it almost sounds like he's saying, I was made holy by the good things I did, right? By my own obedience. But we know it can't be saying that because he just explained that's not the case. So it can't mean that. we got to understand, what is he saying in relation to all those other things? We know that we've been saved by Christ alone. We've been born again by His Word, not our works. So what is he saying? The word obedience simply means to place your hearing under somebody else. So when someone else speaks, you take their words as command. So Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And in Christ, when you profess faith in Christ, what you're doing is bowing down before Him saying, my life is yours. Have it. Whatever you say, I will do. That's the first step in obedience is before He even says anything, just to bow down and say, I'm yours. It's another way of speaking about holiness, devotion. When you surrender to Christ, you are devoted to Him. So obedience isn't primarily following a list of commands. At first, with our imagery of a long road trip, it's just getting in the van. There's going to be a lot of commands on the way. Knock that off. Be quiet. Get along. But the first step is simply get in the van and buckle up. Trusting someone else to drive along the long journey. So what does it then look like for us to be completely devoted to Jesus? Again, it's, 
It's not a specific list of holy activities that set us apart from everybody else. The next phrase gives us the purpose of our holiness. For a sincere brotherly love. The whole reason you've been saved is to love the people that God has put in your life. You show your commitment to Christ through committed love for other believers. Don't be turned off by the phrase, ladies, that says brotherly love. We love our sisters in Christ too. It's simply a word that just means familial affection and care for others, for your siblings. We are all promised the same inheritance. We're all in the same van going to the same destination. If we're going to enjoy Christ now like we will when we arrive, we're going to have to figure out how to enjoy Him together and help each other look to Him. So with this groundwork, now Peter can give his main exhortation. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is the way we live out our salvation in this world. In earnest love. Earnest meaning consistent eagerness. I just have to do it and I love to do it and I want to do it. It's sincere. It's genuine. I want to be in these other people's lives because I love Christ in you. And I want to experience Christ with you. So I'm glad to be buckled up next to you. It's not a, a squishy sentimentality like you guys all make me feel butterflies. Because to be honest, there's times that we're going to annoy each other. I'm going to say things from the pulpit that you might go, ah, oh, that hurt. But instead, this love is this devoted affection to one another. I promise publicly that I will be with you through this whole journey. And this attitude can be seen in nearly 60 commands throughout the entire New Testament that tell us how we ought to relate to one another. 60 different commands that say things like love one another and serve one another. And we, we talk about church membership a lot. I hope you're feeling the emphasis of that today. because Not because we're trying to make up some way to control your lives, but we're trying to make sense of how do we obey all of these commands to care for one another? Let me read just a few of them and think, how can I do this unless I publicly say, I'm with you? Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Seek good for one another. Don't complain about one another. Confess your sins to one another. Tolerate one another. Be devoted to one another. Give preference or regard one another as more important than yourselves. Serve one another. Be subject to one another. Bear one another's burdens. Rejoice and weep with one another. Speak truth to one another. Encourage. Build up one another. Stimulate one another to love and good works. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. It's really tangible. Bring each other into your homes. Over a dozen times, simple phrase, love one another. You can't obey these things unless you stand up in front of everyone and say, hold me accountable to these. My home is your home. I commit to love you. You can't say you love Jesus and keep yourself at the fringes of His people. You will want to love them because you've been buckled into the seat with them and better figure out how to get along. It's going to be uncomfortable at times, sure. We're going to annoy each other a lot. 
but we're going to the same place together, so let's figure it out. Let's enjoy the journey towards Jesus together. But we do it not simply because it's a command. Love one another. Verses 23 to 25 explain to us that we do it because we've been born of God. Let's read that text again. Peter says we should love one another since, because, you've been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was proclaimed to you, preached to you. Love for one another is a natural product of our salvation. It's not just something you might want to consider to have a little bit better Christian life. It must happen if you are a Christian because the love of God through His Word is born in you. Peter says we love since because we have been born again. In our natural birth, we're born into sin. In our flesh, we don't love one another. We fight, we gossip, we argue and complain. These are the fruits of the perishable seed that we were born in Adam. In Adam, all of us sin and all of us will die because of that sin. If these tendencies are in you, friends, it might be a good time to examine if you've truly been spiritually reborn. He's saying that the Word of God will cause you to love others. Because Peter is telling us that this new birth makes you desire to love actual Christians in your day-by-day, week-by-week life. had an experience recently sitting down with someone who had admitted to me that they hadn't been to church in a very long time. Not very consistent in their attendance. And I said, appeal to the Spirit that this person claimed to have. You say you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God implanted in you. I said, does the Word of God, the Spirit of God in you make you want to be a part of the church family? Make you want to be there more regularly? And their response was, not really. But I gasped at that moment. You don't realize what you just said. If you're born again, you will have an internal desire to be closer and closer and closer to your brothers and sisters in Christ. God's Word overcomes our selfish desires, gives us new desires, primarily among them, a desire to be with His people. To be with your, in the van with your brothers and sisters enjoying the ride. This is the result of the imperishable seed of the living and abiding Word of God implanted in you. I could give you a bunch of practical reasons why you ought to join a church. We hold each other accountable, right? If someone's falling away, we come and say, no, 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 don't do that. Or we encourage you. You hear terrible news. And it's hard to see how God is at work in it. Leading you to tears. And we say, let's pray with you. We are here with you. Don't be alone in this. 
Or when we want to be on mission, we say, we need to pull our weight together to represent Christ in this city. We need you. Very practical reasons. But Peter says, the main reason you should love one another is because that is your new identity, your new birth. It's your new nature in Christ. It doesn't go away. The seed is imperishable. It doesn't die. He says it remains. It abides. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, He is in you. He's making you alive every single day to love others, giving you new desires to be in others' lives. When this Word is planted in you, it remains and only grows stronger and stronger. So Peter uses a quote from Isaiah 40 then to encourage them in this love. Isaiah was writing to exiles, people who have been taken out of their homes to be slaves in a foreign land. How are we supposed to endure this terrible existence? They couldn't see what God was doing. So he says, God made you promises. You can, you can be guaranteed that they will be kept. God promised to make you a great nation. God promised to forgive your sins. God promised to bring you lasting peace and joy. Look, it's written down. It's the Word of God. You can be sure it will not change. He will fulfill His promises. And He did. He brought them back home. Isaiah held up the Word saying, God keeps His promises. God's promises come true. He, His Word accomplishes what it sets out to do. It will bear fruit. So Peter's saying to us though that it's not just some external promise. You just open a book and, and read it. That promise is now buried in your heart if you are in Christ. This love becomes part of you. It will bear a fruit of love. This unfading, abiding Word of God that is the Gospel. When you heard the Gospel, the good news preached to you, and you surrendered your life, you bowed down to Jesus and said, all yours, have my life. You said, I'm committing to love these people too. This sincere, earnest love was planted in you when Jesus died and rose from the dead. He didn't just rise to forgive you of your sins and set you free. He rose to give you His Spirit of love to love others. The Gospel will bear fruit of love in you. Think of it this way, how John wrote in his letter. In 1 John Chapter 4, what does John say is an essential characteristic of God's own nature? God is love. And so he argues through that chapter, if God is love and God dwells in you, one plus one equals you're going to love others as well. You're going to love those who've been redeemed just like He loves those who've been redeemed. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. He made us to reflect who He is. And for all eternity, Father, loving Son, by the Spirit, back and forth, forever, just this beautiful cycle of love. And how we love each other in the church, by that same Spirit, shows the world that God is alive in us. Love for those in your church family is the primary evidence of God's love in you. The living and abiding Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, made you to love each other. Not just a vague, general kindness to people that you might come across in your life, but a committed, 
devoted, intimate affection, tangible care for specific people that are buckled into the van right next to you. John says, we know we've passed out of death to life because we have love for the brothers. So let me ask you a very hard question. Do you love the church? Not the programs or the music or the events or the building, which isn't even ours. Do you love the people in this room? Do you think about them all week long and want to know them more deeply, more carefully? Do you pray for them and desire to take care of them, to spend time with them, to play with them, to serve them and serve with them? Be careful how you answer that question because it will reveal whether or not that imperishable seed of God's Word is in you. Let me just finish up by bringing us back to the metaphor of all of us together in a big, giant, homeschool-sized van heading to heaven. I hope you guys know that when Jake and I joke about homeschooling, it's because we homeschool our own kids too. So, kind of mocking ourselves. We're not saying you got to homeschool, but you do have to get in the church van. Those who have surrendered their lives to Christ have gotten in the van and buckled up in the back seat next to a bunch of other children on the way. So with this in mind, that we ought to love one another, I want to think of three ways that we tend to relate to the church that are not actual options for us on this road trip to heaven. First, this call to love and serve and enjoy one another means we don't get to just hang out at the fringes of church life. It's like standing on the back bumper holding on to that tiny rear windshield wiper. I'm going the same direction, but I'm not getting in there with them. You are going to fall off if that's the case. You're facing the elements. Your little fingers can't hold on. You're going to fall off. But not only is it extremely dangerous, it's disobedience to the Father who says, get in here and buckle up. If you like to hang out at the edges of church, you hesitate joining in a committed relationship, hear the Word of God, not just from me, but the Word of God in you. Commit with sincerity and eagerness to a local body of brothers and sisters in Christ. Secondly, on this road trip together, we don't really get the option of climbing in and out of the van whenever we want to. If you're on a road trip, sometimes, yes, we need to pull over to the side of the road and refuel, maybe get lunch. Perhaps the family's going to go visit a site together or help someone in need together. But if you're on a road trip and someone is constantly wanting to get out and go make a phone call to someone else or just, I just need time to get away from all of you, you, you start to wonder, do they even like us? Do they even want to be here with us? Do they, they don't even seem interested in going where we're going. So a person who makes church attendance or regular interaction with the saints just a secondary activity is kind of revealing that they don't have the love for the saints, which is really revealing they're not going the same direction we are. Perhaps the seed of God's Word isn't growing in them. 
Just a disclaimer. That doesn't mean you're never allowed to leave. We're not a cult. Sometimes, if those who are driving the van are steering towards a cliff, by all means, bail out. Open that door and tuck and roll. Get out of here. Maybe another church van fits your gifts better. You would be able to bring unity and peace and partnership to another church. Then let's pull over and get you plugged in there. Or we want to be about planting churches and sending missionaries, which is teaching one another how to drive their own van and going and getting them their own. So we want to send people out. But ordinarily, we need to be buckled in learning how to love one another, those that God has placed next to us. One last warning. Peter uses this phrase, born again. Which means, as we all know, that you're given new desires. But when you're born... You're not born as an adult. You're born as a child. And where do you put the children in the van? You buckle them up in the back seat. Facing backwards even. We could take this metaphor a lot of great directions. But how often do we think like we need to climb up front? We need to grab, push, start pushing all the buttons and start giving commands of how the how we all relate to one another, maybe even grabbing hold of the steering wheel. We know better where this needs to go. And we Christians do that all the time. When we show up, we start saying that we're only going to go along as long as the theology perfectly matches up with the way I read the map. Or the music style. The music selection is only the preferences that I like. Or the programs fit our needs. Our Father has many good reasons for putting us together. We need to trust that He put the big brothers and big sisters in charge to drive us where we need to go. And perhaps someday, as we show our desire to love one another and we bring unity to one another, we'll be able to be invited up front, choose a station or two, sit on the Father's lap and drive, be trained to even go drive your own van. But for most of us, we simply need to learn to get along as brothers and sisters and enjoy one another along the way singing soon and very soon together. But for those of us who are buckled into the van, let's strive to love one another. I'm thankful for this church because I've never experienced love from brothers and sisters like I have from all of you. As I hear a brother and sister this morning give terrible news that they just received, I have nothing but a desire to tell all of you, let's go love them, let's take care of them. Because you did that for me. When I felt I was about to fall out of the van, let's show honor to one another, bless one another, be at peace with one another. Next week, Jake's going to preach on the very next verse, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Such attitudes should never be present among the family of God. The kind of thing that makes the father yell to the back, don't make me pull this van over. If you've been made holy by Jesus, you overcome these temptations and you bless other brothers and sisters by the living and abiding Word of God in you. Let's look to Christ together. Let's enjoy Christ together. Put aside our differences. Serve one another. And in this, we will show how powerful the living and abiding Word of God is in us. Let's pray. God, 
I couldn't be more grateful for a church that displays the love of Christ as these brothers and sisters do. I pray that any who comes to spend any time with us, whether it's on a Sunday morning and and we worship and we eat lunch together or through a community group or just our interactions throughout the week, that people would know there is a special love at work in us, not because of how great we are, not because of our own skill in obedience, but because Christ is at work in us by His Spirit. God, we thank You for doing that. And we pray You will help us endure and display Your love as we continue to worship and enjoy this day that You have made. Amen.